Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Steve Albini, renowned record producer and recording engineer. I have managed to avoid going broke as a recording engineer since um, about 1981. So I think that that puts me in a very, very, very small minority. Lead singer and guitarist for the band Shellac. This microphone turns sound into electricity. Wanna ionize the air? He's gotta have more cowbell. We have a couple of van rules, van music rules. Yeah. One of them is that if a song starts with cowbell, yeah. you turn it up. I could have used a little more cowbell. Yeah, because the number of great songs that start with a cowbell is extraordinary like the batting average for starting with a cowbell it's like a, basically it's really really hard to miss if the song starts with a cowbell it's steve albini with matt spiegel on hit and run it is 670 the score it is hit and run i am matt spiegel all of those things are true and he is steve albini and he's here and that's true too i love that that was used in there because we've got uh, a cowbell reference, but batting average is the analogy of choice. And I have heard you do that before. I think you were um, talking about Neil Young albums and like his batting average on albums is extremely high in terms of the percentage of them that are interesting. Yeah, well, and also considering that he's such a prolific, you know, pr- prolific artist, he's uh-huh. put out, he puts out a record every couple of months just and he's had a really long career. And there's always something interesting about him, you know. Yeah, and so, but batting average as the, as the shorthand obviously uh, belies the love of baseball and the appreciation of baseball, and that's why we're here on, on Hit and Run to uh, kind of relax and sprawl a little bit this hour. Uh, Steve Albini, for those who don't know, record producer, but you prefer recording engineer? Sure, yeah, whatever. I, I, I appreciate that, not, that the general public isn't going to uh, care about the distinctions b- uh, between different categories of job. It's like, you know, like a... A, a managing editor versus a, a section editor versus, uh-huh. you know, nobody cares. Right, president of baseball operations versus general manager. Nobody cares. Yeah, no, no, nobody really does care. But it, 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 it speaks to kind of an ethos that, that you've become known for, and rather than, than me put it into words, I could ask you. I mean, but uh, egalitarian, is, is that a word that, that makes sense for the, or a well, starless, how about producing Econo, like the Minutemen jammed yeah. Econo? Well, I mean, I, I basically just don't like the, the, sort of the, the pretense of office and importance and significance. I, I think basically everybody's a working stiff. I happen to work making records. And, uh, you know, I don't deserve a special title for it. I just go, I go to work every day and I make records every day. That's it. Yeah. Well, and, and what you do in terms of when you make the record is you really want the artist to speak. You want their vision to, to come through. And your job is kind of just to help them help be a vessel for it. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky to have a job. They're making a record. I'm just helping out. Yeah. Well, in the first of, uh, of, of myriad um, music and baseball comps that I'll be making during the course of the hour to the annoyance of many, 
Um, a good hitting coach hmm. or a good pitching coach does not go in and say, this is how you do it, because this is how I watched Greg Maddox do it, or this is right, how Jim right. Tomey made the Hall of Fame. A good hitting coach steps up and says, okay, what do you do? Let me check you out. Let yeah. me see how your body works. Let me see what your form is. Okay, now how can I help you be the best version of yourself? Well, a good analogy would be we're friends, we're mutual friends with Kevin Goldstein, who mm-hmm. um, runs player development for the Houston Astros. And we just had, and I'm lucky enough to be on a, a text thread with him and a couple of other notable baseball minds. And they just acquired Granky, right? Yeah. And, uh, an extraordinary weirdo. Yes. So uh, one of the all time great intellectual weirdos in baseball. Yeah. One of the one of the top weirdos. And uh, (laughs) and when your title says that you're responsible for player development, for example, like there's an expectation that you're going to mold somebody. And and uh, Kevin said, you know, rule one with this guy is to not tell him anything, to not, you know, let him do his thing, like keep him, you know, let him put him in a styrofoam box for the remainder of the, of the week and then like open it up, let him come out and pitch and then, let he, and then he goes back into hibernation, you know. Because he needs no exactly. advice, no counsel. He is a, ma- he's a finished product or at least he's in charge enough to know what he's doing. You have to be able to recognize that when somebody is on a trajectory to do something great or noble or insane, you know, any tinkering is just going to cause a disaster. Hmm. So if you had artists like that that oh, you're sure. like oh let me just get the hell out of the way and make sure that they do their I, thing i like to think that one of my skills which also uh um it, you know it suits my temperament and it suits my profound laziness is that i just <laughs> i just let people get on with it you know i i assume that everybody that comes into the studio is there for a reason that is that they've written music that they're happy with and they're uh-huh. going to make a recording of it and and my job is to facilitate it and that requires you know technical knowledge and experience and that sort of stuff but you know it's not my record it's you know i'm i i'm if i screw this record up i don't i'm gonna make another one tomorrow it doesn't really matter yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's interesting i i i remember when when i i was lucky enough to get into your studio with my brother and would make a little demo and i remember thinking here it is the albini magic juice is coming baby <laughs> gonna scrub us up and make us sound better and cooler and hipper and then it was like oh wait either we're good or we're not oh yeah i, I think we're okay i don't know <laughs> i mean but that's basically the process yeah. yeah yeah i mean and the thing is that most bands and most people who are in music have a pretty strong identity like they know what they want their music to sound like they mm. know what they're trying to do they've been dreaming about this moment since they were kids you know like they know they know exactly precisely what they want to do right and they don't need somebody coming in and saying you know what do you how about i hear piano in the middle i hear piano in the middle eight what do you think you but know? sometimes they do sometimes they want that and sometimes they're open for that i don't know if you have then achieved the other a version of the comp, which would be, say, Brandon Kinsler of the Cubs, who had a terrible year last year and this year decided to trust his pitching coach, Tommy Hadovy, who saw something and well, said, you know what? I think you can do this better because I have figured out a way that mechanically we can improve you. And Kinsler said, I've always been my own pitching coach, um, but something's, something's wrong. I, I got to try and listen to somebody. I might as well listen to him. Well, you're talking about an activity where there are um, quantifiable results. Like either you strike people out or you don't, right? Uh, right. And uh, in music, it's not like that. You know, there, are mu- there, are, there is music that is categorically the same or similar to music that is awesome, it just happens to be terrible, right? <laughs> so there, there are, you really can't use external criteria 
to evaluate oh, music. Yes. It's, and a lot of my favorite records, if you listen to them uh, according to any kind of objective criteria, they're disasters, you know? Like, there's, the singing is bad, the, t- the playing is out of time, but they're loaded with personality, and you get an inkling of what the person making that record, you get an inkling of what their mania was, uh-huh. you know? And that is the point of music. That the music is about, to communic- is about communicating individual insanity to a, an audience, you know? Yeah. Obsession may be a better term than, than insanity, you know? Yeah, so, all right, so there's the fundamental difference, which obviously destroys most of the analogies and comps that I've been trying to make my whole life. But let's, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Well, my, my point is, you can have somebody like... Uh, Bill Lee or Mark Fidrich, right? Like, uh, objectively, like, nutso people. Talk, ex- talk about all-time weirdos. Extremely interesting people. Bill Lee, um, when last I, I heard about him, was throwing six innings in the Midnight Sun baseball game <laughs> in Alaska at the age of 57. And yeah. that's a game that's played at midnight when it's sunny outside, yeah. and Bill Lee at 57 was throwing six innings. Which is, you know, that, that's an glorious. expression of his mania, right? Yes. Which makes him great on that vector, right? As a pitcher, whatever, you know, mediocre, right? But, but, that, the, but in music, there are p- plenty of singers that can hit every note, you know, at, spot on. And there mm-hmm. are a lot of guitar players who never miss a fret and whose timing is impeccable. But the, the impulse that is the music that they want to make is mm-hmm. mundane or uninteresting. And, and so they, they fail on that vector. And that, that's, that, my interest in music recognizes that what makes music good is not its proficiency. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, the, the mania behind it. Obviously. So baseball is, is measured, and baseball, the effect, um, it, it, and, and you're trying to, to show the skill. I, we've gotten way ahead of ourselves, which is <laughs> something I expected to happen. Let's back up, and I want you to explain to people why you love baseball, why Steve Albini loves baseball, and what makes it fundamentally different than all other sports. Because listeners well. to this show... I, we, we have our own passion for baseball, but I think you put it in a way that perhaps some have not thought about. Yeah. I mean, from when you boil, it, boil every game down to its, its essentials, um, all sports are about fighting over a pill and trying to put it into a goal before a clock runs out. You know, like you have, it doesn't matter whether it's a basketball, a hockey puck, yeah. a soccer ball. You just have these two mobs fighting over a, a thing. And then one of them, you know, one of them's trying to put it in a goal. The other one's trying to def- defend the goal. And then when the bell rings, somebody has more points than the other and they win. Yes. Right? It's, they're all the same game. They're all ridiculous. With, <laughs> right? with varying levels of violence and or execution yeah. and or teamwork. But, but concept the same. Here yeah. is a goal. Let me move pill towards and into it. Exactly. Exactly. Different playing surface, whatever. I mean, at, you know, at, at a minimum, the Aztec ball game where they uh, where they would, you know, the sort of precursor to basketball uh. where they would kill the losing team like that, like that to me, at least the stakes are high enough to make it interesting. But, I, you know, the most like the biggest distinction that these different mob sports have is what the playing surface is. You know, is it grass? Or right. Is it ice? Yes. You know, like, is it wood? Yeah. Or is it? You know, is it parquet? You know? It, it, it reminds me, Sam Rosen was uh, once doing 
a Bears preseason game, and he also does the New York Rangers hockey game. And he tossed to break by saying, and we'll be right back, the Rangers are up 4-3 to three <laughs> as, he, as he's doing a Bears game. And I imagined him thinking, this is the worst ice I've ever seen. What's wrong with this ice? It's a giant field of grass. That's what's wrong. But I understand why I got confused. Yeah, so basically these mob sports, they're all the same, right? <laughs> okay. the, then uh, then there, there's one other minor class of sports, which is the pong sports, where you're trying to defeat the return of uh-huh. something over a net. Tennis, ping pong, badminton. Yeah, the volleyball. Sure. Yeah, whatever. The, the pong sports, handball, high lie, whatever. They're all, they're all pong, okay. basically. And, and then there's golf, which is, exists in its own sort of realm. Golf is billiards. Yeah, it's shot making, shot selection, mm-hmm. uh, exe- technique, execution, you know, the, it's billiards. And extremely individual. Yeah. Um, and then there's baseball. Baseball is not utterly unique in that there are, you know, there is cricket, which is another kind of a crippled form of baseball. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but in baseball, the ball is immaterial to scoring. The ball is just an object that you use to punish the people who are playing, you know? <laughs> Uh, and you you use the ball to threaten and to punish the players. The offense doesn't even handle the ball. Exactly. It's the it's an utterly unique game, and it is limitless, which is what I like. That's the the number one best thing about baseball is that it theoretically you could have a game that went on forever. You know, there's a uh, there was a, a book called The Beginning. I forget who wrote it, but it was about a, a mythical baseball game between um, ghost teams that went on you know that went on infinitely, mm-hmm. and it was just whenever anybody you know whenever anybody went ahead then the the home team would equalize in their half of the inning and the game just went on forever and i think that's a charming concept also the fact that the there's no standardized baseball field like the outfield walls could be anywhere any yes. shape whatever stick a flagpole in there who cares you know has <laughs> to be a flagpole in a hill <laughs> exactly who yeah. cares like you might as well i i think they should have a concession stand with you know like stairs leading up to the bleachers i think that would be awesome you know <laughs> make a leaping catch off the fourth stair on his yeah, way to get a beer by the popcorn machine uh-huh. you know, i think it would be great right you know? so the, so the uniqueness uh, uh, of baseball obviously it it, it makes it and don't you think that there is, and I do, more room for conversation, both in the timing of the game and in the incredible nuance of the game? There is endless conversation available. One, yeah, and there, the thing is that you can pick something to pay attention to on every single pitch. And, that, and over time, you will be rewarded for having paid attention to that one thing. Every baseball game I've been to, mm-hmm. uh, I've seen some, uh, something absurd has happened, you know? Yeah. It's like my, our, our mutual friend Devin, uh, he said every single time he's been to a poker game, he has seen something absurd happen, and uh, and that's absolutely true in baseball as well. Yeah. I, I went to a game last year, just on the spur of the moment, um, our fr- mutual friend, Shut Up Andy, who runs the <laughs> NittyKitty.com t-shirt, poker t-shirts company. They are delightful t-shirts. My favorite is... Um it, it, what, what is it? Uh, it if, if rapture comes, blind me yeah, out. In case of rapture, blind me in out. In case of rapture, blind me out. Which yeah. means keep putting my blinds out there in case, yes. Yeah. I it, love that. If the seat is empty because of a divine intervention, then anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so Andy invites anyway, you to a game. Spur of the moment, for no reason. Just say, mm-hmm. hey, I have a spare ticket. Do you want to you go see this game? So we go see a, you know, a largely inconsequential game, you know, middle, late season, whatever. 
and Bodie hits a walk-off grand slam. Against the Nationals and Ryan Madsen a year ago, like what, three days ago, yeah, something fanta- like that. Fantastic moment. Legendary. Fantastic. Half of the half of the <laughs> of the tragically unfaithful Cubs fans had already vacated um, the most beautiful ballpark to see a ball game in, you know, in a very tense ninth inning situation. That you know the stands were bleeding. Everything, everybody was leaving, right? Mm. And you that's know, what you get. Bada bing. Yeah, uh, it's uh, you. You never know exactly what it's going to be. He is Steve Albini. I am Matt Spiegel. It is six seventy. The score. This is hit and run. Uh, a lot to discuss. You brought up poker. Uh, Steve is a, a World Series of Poker bracelet winner. I've always thought of poker and baseball as strategic bedfellows. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that, among many other things. And I finally have an on-air excuse to ask my Pixies questions. We'll do that coming up this hour on Hit and Run on six seventy. The score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 670 The Score. It is Hit and Run. I am Matt Spiegel, your host. And uh, my friend Steve Albini is here. Steve Grapefruits Albini was what my brother used to call you. I don't know what that was about. Was that about explosions on July 4th? Could have been. Might also have been about my cojones. (laughs) (laughs) Understandably so. Um, Steve, uh, for years and years, had a studio in his house and then eventually built electrical audio um, where, as you, as belies the what you said earlier about everybody just being a working stiff, including you, you guys wear jumpsuits. I, I, I love the jumpsuits. Is it still in effect where I feel like I'm in a garage and I could be getting um, my tires changed just as easily as getting my, my EQ on my guitar sound fixed? Well, the, the jumpsuits are a really practical thing. You, when you're making records, a lot of it is just like light manual labor. You have to move things from place to place and crawl around on the floor plugging things in and that sort of stuff. And a jumpsuit just keeps your regular clothes from getting wrecked and you always have pockets to put like mic clips and, mm-hmm. and, and attachments and stuff like that. So the, the practicality makes, makes all the sense in the world. Um, as we were talking about the, the ethos that, you know, I, I wondered what you think of, of ball players who are selfish teammates, because this is the interesting thing about baseball is like, as we're saying golf is individual, baseball is largely individual within the team concept. To yeah. me, it's always been the perfect blend of that. That like you got to show up and do your job and do your thing and work on your own craft and perfect it. But then, oh, by the way, you're also a teammate, yeah. which is much more similar to the way that life is lived, uh, well, I, I think. And, 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 and perhaps is um, but, but like egos and, and giant, giant heads and your desire to put your own stamp on it. Can you can survive with guys like that, but they can be a massive detriment to the process. Yeah, and I think the team camaraderie is the number one element of baseball teams that uh, that makes them so. Uh, well, that's why we get nostalgic about playing in baseball teams. For a few years, uh, I played on a semi-pro, um, and I use that term very loosely, team called the Electrons that are are a studio sponsored, and the, the Electrons are still going. I, I'm 
uh, I haven't played in a long time. And they are currently in a heated battle in the, uh, in the playoffs of the Chicago Metropolitan Baseball Association. Uh, See, this is awesome. This is like a men's league that exists that's out yeah, there. Yeah, it's an unaffiliated uh, um, league. It's a drinking league, mainly. <laughs> yeah. There's baseball involved, but it's a drinking league. But when we were putting the electrons together, at the very beginning when we were putting electrons together, the, there were no tryouts. Like, we literally did not care if you, ha- if you were a capable ball player. Um, the tryouts were everybody got together and we kind of you know, played the dozens for a while. And then we went to our bar and then we hung out at our bar for the rest of the evening. And if you, you, know, if you picked up your round appropriately and if you were a good hang, then you made the team. And, uh, and it's not much more selective than that. Uh-huh. And once again, that has proven that management strategy has proven to be very, uh, you know, very competitive because they're in, they are in the semifinals of the championship at the moment. So these conversations that I've been involved in for so many years about whether team chemistry matters, about, their, about whether chemistry comes before winning or winning begets chemistry. It's the only thing that matters. Chemistry? Yeah, I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're playing for fun, if you're, you know, yes. if it's not your, if it's not your life's work, then really the only reason to do it is because it's awesome. But even if it is your life's work, and music is your life's work, doesn't chemistry matter in that sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I, I'm uh, even. I, I happen. I'm lucky in that I'm in a band that I that it, who, that's really good. But uh, even if we were awful, it would still be awesome. Right. It would, it would still be fun. Uh, Bob yeah. Weston in your band, right? Yeah. You guys friends for a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of years. Yeah. Todd Trainer and I, our friendship predates either of us being in a band. That, you know. Right. Uh, uh, so I'm, 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 I'm a part of a community of musicians. And one expression of that is that I'm in a band. So, so, so the music, obviously music's goal, as opposed to baseball's goal, is not winning. It is aesthetic excellence or aesthetic satisfaction or kind of um, communal shared vision or, or however that, that, that could be expressed. That said, I, I, I have and could wax rhapsodic for hours about how the band dynamic and the ball club dynamic really mirror each other. And I've been shouted down by baseball. It doesn't stop me from going after it. Because just in terms of staying mentally present, despite the challenges, despite the potential apathy of repetition, my God, we've played this song a million times. My God, I've worked on my hitting mechanics a million times, or whatever it is. Despite any personal conflicts that you've got going on in your life outside of the team or within the team or whatever, show up. And, and the dependence on each other. If you don't do your job musically, it's going to make it more difficult for me to do my job musically. That, well, those, those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky in, in that I'm in a band that has a fantastic world-class drummer, Todd Trainer. right? If Todd has a good night, Bob and I really, we're just set dressing. You know, we're just decorations for Todd, for Todd having a good show. And there are a lot of bands that are like that where... Um, you know, if if a particular person sure. has a good show, then it's a good show. You know? mm-hmm. um, but but on a given night, a different one of you could shine, right? A different yeah. on, a, on a given song and a different like yeah. each, each one of you might have a moment. And there's to me what I've always thought is like there's a confidence in knowing. All right, I don't have to be the badass this particular moment right here. <laughs> I I can go ahead and just do my job as the yeah. bass player or whatever my role is and be selfless and set up person X to shine just like when it's my job to hit behind a runner and let and let the next guy get his job done. Yeah, there are some parallels with the Chicago tradition of improv comedy where the the ethos is yes and where yes. you take you take what you're given. 
you don't fight with it. You take what you're given, and then you enable somebody else to do something with it. You know, and that, uh, that's a big part of any like, group endeavor, team sports being one of them, I suppose. Absolutely. Talk shows being another. Conversation, the fine art of conversation being another. Uh, bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Your Western Conference champion, Chicago Wolves, will open the season on Saturday, October 5th. For group and season tickets, visit chicagowolves.com. I'm sure some score listeners are like, what the hell is going on here? But maybe many of you who've heard me before know that I love talking music and baseball, and this is Steve Albini, who's a... Um, a fairly legendary record producer, recording engineer type, and he's worked with lots of bands, you know, and done lots of things that you've, you've listened to and enjoyed um, throughout the decades. But you, you also won a bracelet at the World Series of Poker, and I've been fortunate to play in the poker games at your house from time to time, where the, the conversations go from baseball to music to trivia to poker and, and back among all those things. And my role has been, for years now, I bring celebrity wine. Yeah. So somebody's got to do it, and I've I've been the <laughs> been the guy to do it. And I, at its best, I will bring a bottle of wine made by a musician. I remember bringing trains wine, drops yeah. of Jupiter, yeah. <laughs> Chardonnay. That was, and, and just the ability to for us all to sit around and make the jokes. Like, boy, the commitment to blandness yeah. of this particular and wine. It's so much, and, you know, and it was so much like the gin blossoms wine, except you know, a, a little bit less expensive. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, and, or, or the Dave Matthews wine. Dave Matthews makes yeah. some wine, which I believe you said... Very jammy. Yes, incredibly jammy. Long finish. Takes a long time to finish. Yeah, this, and this wine hits way too many notes. Yeah. Way and, too many. Which we thought was maybe the worst, uh, which we thought was maybe like the pinnacle of the arts of, of um, uh, music criticism as expressed through celebrity vintner, right? <laughs> uh, and then I found out Primus has a wine. And that, that wine for sure hits way too many notes. <laughs> right. And, or the, the ACDC wine I brought one night were like, man, this is really good, but every vintage is yeah. exactly the same. Yeah, reliable. Open any bottle. They're all the same. <laughs> they're all exactly the same. <laughs> but um, at, at that poker game, I've learned a lot of weird games, and then you won a weird game. Seven card stud. Yeah. Uh, the old man poker. The, <laughs> the old man poker is what you won. Um, in Vegas. Now, I think about poker and baseball as strategic bedfellows. Like, you be prepared with all the analytics and the data possible, but you also have to play with confidence, of course, and trust your gut. Um, do, you, do you see that on its basic element as being strategic bedfellows? Yeah, I've, I think the... I've always thought of baseball as being like chess where you shouted instructions to the pieces, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and poker is sort of like chess, but where the pieces that you capture are worth money. Uh, and, and so in that way, through, the vec- through that vector, I think um, baseball and poker are similar. Mm-hmm. There, there is even an element of bluffing. I don't know if you saw that fantastic deke that uh, Javi played the other day when uh, there was a ball overthrown. And uh, Javi, like, dived back toward the bag uh, in order to, to keep somebody on second base, right? Uh, but he avoided touching him because, so that he could not be called for base runner interference. Uh, it was absolutely masterful f- deke, absolutely masterful, incredible fake. That stuff is gorgeous. Yeah. and It, it reminds me of Twins Braves in the World Series when I believe it was... It was either Chuck Knobloch or Greg, um, Greg Gagne, 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 who, um, who deked um, Ozzie Smith and kept him from, from scoring. He came back towards second base. People know what I'm talking about. But anyway, yeah. yes, there, there, is, there is an element <laughs> of that at its best. element of bluffing, even. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the main thing in poker is that um, there, the, the 
the hard part of poker is to be disciplined about making the correct decision. When you know you have the correct, you know the correct decision is staring in your face, but you're emotionally invested in this hand. You don't want to throw your hand away because, it, you know, it was so pretty two, three seconds ago until that <laughs> card came off. Your hand was so nice until just a couple of seconds ago, and you mm. still had this, you know, there's this, uh, you know, if you, if you tilt, if you allow the nonsensical parts of your personality to overrule the logical, rational part of your mind, Mm -hmm. then you can make poor decisions. And that exactly the same thing happens in baseball on a managerial level, level, on a pitching, you know, in the pitching, catching battery, or base running decisions. Like, people get emotionally invested and they commit to an act. Yes. Which is inappropriate for the circumstances, even though it might have been appropriate moments before absolutely when conditions change you have to adapt you have to you know you have to be willing to throw your hand away and the front office um they've talked about this a lot of times whether it's theo epstein or others that your job is to stay as dispassionate as possible in terms of certain roster decisions and sometimes they fall in love with certain players like you fall in love with certain hands you're like no this should these are aces aces should play but then you realize the league is perhaps adapted to aces and they know how to play you and beat you there's also this element of randomness that in the end yeah the ball bounces funny right that your process is what you have to believe in and and not and not the results which is just Absolutely freaking maddening. Um, what is the style of play for you poker-wise that exemplifies that mix of math and, and feel? Well, there are, there are players who do their homework. That is, players who, away from the game, will work on situations and try to understand what's, you know, what the probabilities of certain situations are and where often the received wisdom is wrong. And in very much in the way that Moneyball uh, changed you know, statistical analysis changed the way scouting was done, changed the way rosters were put together, mm-hmm. uh, changed the, the way different skill sets were valued, right? Uh, different aspects of poker have become more and more significant, more and less significant over time. Like, um, absolute hand strength is maybe the first level of, of poker. Um, that was supplanted by the notion of equity, where even if you have a poor hand against a good hand, your poor hand still has some equity in the in the pot. Like, you still have some probability of winning. Hmm. So that probability can be expressed as money based on how much money is in the pot and what the probability of your hand winning is. Yeah, now we've gotten to a level that I find overwhelming and, and unfun. And the, the, re, the fact that pe- players like you find yes. that overwhelming <laughs> is what allows players like me to win bracelets. <laughs> Or, or to take my $100 on a random Tuesday night. Yes, no, I know. And, and I think the celebrity wine also plays into uh, me being a, 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 a money font. Yeah, you were a couple, a few cups of drops of Jupiter to the wind. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, what is your most aesthetically pleasing baseball thing, Steve Albini? Well, now, now, for me... I'll go ahead and give you give you two just as a little guidepost here. Sure. I love when a pitcher 
throws a breaking ball for strike three, and he knows it before anybody. When he, when yeah. he right, so he's he, walking to the dugout before walk, the before the catcher catch before the, the ball, catcher yeah. has the ball, before the umpire has twitched, before the batter has unbuckled his knees, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the pitcher is just walking off, going, "Oh yeah, I got you." That I, I find that incredibly gratifying. Okay, there are a couple of very specific things that I find incredibly charming in baseball. They don't happen that often, okay. uh, but I super duper love them. Right, every now and again, a pitcher will bounce a pitch at a hitter who just decides, I'm going to take a hack anyway. And Ichiro is the king of this. Ichiro, there is, there is probably a YouTube highlight clip um, of Ichiro. Hitting it off the ground. Hitting bouncing balls for singles. Yes. Like, I just love that. I absolutely love that. And pro- maybe the, the best example of that is um, uh, uh, Yogi Berra was pitched out like they they were going to walk Yogi Berra. Johnny Bench? Oh, no, no, Yogi Berra. Okay, yeah. go ahead. They were going to walk Yogi Berra, and so the catcher puts up four fingers and stands up and steps out to the side of the plate, and Yogi Berra sticks his ass out and hits a home run off of a pitch out. That was in, that's incredible. I love stuff like that. When Vlad Guerrero was... was now I have to distinguish. Vlad Guerrero Senior. Senior was the king of hitting bad pitches. Junior would, did it the other night, by the way. Junior did one the other night. It was like, oh, my God, there he is. Like one like uh, ear level. He t- like take a fastball <laughs> ear level over the right field fence or something. Like mm-hmm. that. I love that. I love guys that, are, that will... That, that are, play unconventionally, but to their strengths. I mm-hmm. love that. That's, that's, that's my favorite thing about baseball. That's a beautiful thing. Um, all right. My favorite play in baseball okay. uh, is a double or possibly triple to the gap with a man on first. So you have an incredible amount of movement. You've got two outfielders chasing for the ball. Uh, also on the defense, you've got somebody setting up to be the relay man, somebody setting up to back up the relay man, the pitcher, if he's doing his job, running around to back up wherever the eventual throw is going to go, either right. to third base or more than likely to home. So you've got all the defenders moving in this, in this kind of this, this organized ballet. And meanwhile, you've got hopefully a good base runner just hauling ass and yeah. trying to cut the angles perfectly, and it takes a long time. That's my favorite play yeah. to watch. Triple is by far the most exciting, uh, most exciting moment in baseball is when somebody hits a triple, triple, especially when they can see that it's going to rattle around in the corner and that you can see that on their way to first base, they're thinking, I'm going to make this a triple. I love, uh, the triple is the most exciting play in baseball. Mm. 670, the score is where you are. It's Matt Spiegel with you on Hit and Run. Steve Albini is with me for another 20 minutes or so. We have coffee. We have achieved coffee for Steve. He's invented a few things I want to ask about and, um, and, and see why he is not uh, filthy rich because of them, as opposed to that annoying little music thing. We'll talk about that next on The Score. Listening to 670, the score, bottom of the hour, was sponsored by Hint Water. Hint is pure, still, or sparkling water infused with a variety of fruit essences, including watermelon, blackberry, and cherry. No sugar, no sweeteners, no calories. 
available in your local grocery store or at drinkhint.com. Hint, mouth-watering water. I'm sure Joey Santiago dreamed of his guitar riffs being spoken over by Hint Water. But go ahead and turn this up, Zach Withers. All right, so so pretty when you're so it's Hit and Run, and uh, my guest is Steve Albini, and that was a variety of records that he worked on um, as recording engineer Nirvana, uh, Jimmy Plant, uh, Jimmy Jimmy Page, and Robert Plant. Oh, that would go that would go down very well. Yeah, I'm sure it would. Uh, Jimmy Plant, I believe, was a utility infielder for the 1964 <laughs> Minnesota Twins. Um, PJ Harvey, uh, Rid of Me, is such a great album. And then the Pixies Bone Machine right there from Surfer Rosa. So that, that changed my ears just completely. Uh, did you know that that was special as you're sitting there and recording that? That guitar sounds so violent, so jarring, and it would go on to inspire lots and lots and lots of people. Uh, at the moment, it, in the moment we were working on that record, I did not think it was a special record. I thought it was a good record. I thought, you know, I thought they were a good band. Um, I thought Kim Deal was an incredible singer and had a really great personality. Um, I thought Charlie was an interesting songwriter, and he had good ideas, very clever. This is uh, Fra- Frank Black, whose yeah. actual name is Charles something. Thompson. There yeah. it is. But, um, yeah, um, but there, I mean, it was a very vibrant time. There was a lot of very exciting, invigorating music in the 80s. It's an undersung generation in terms of, like, the penetration of the underground. There weren't heroes or champions like... Um, Nirvana, Sonic Youth, um, Smashing Pumpkins, like there weren't people who had roots in the underground that had made it into the popular culture yet. The underground scene was very much underground. Hmm. Um, But that was an extremely exciting time period. You had fantastic bands like uh, Killdozer from Madison, Wisconsin, or The Appliances from Madison, Wisconsin, or Naked Ray Gun from Chicago, The Effigies. Like there are all these like really invigorating, really exciting bands. They they just didn't achieve the kind of penetration and um, influence that bands, a band like the Pixies did. The Pixies were kind of a representative band uh, of that era, and I, I don't want to say unremarkable, but there were there were a lot of bands of that caliber that just that uh, didn't have as big an impact. Well, that makes sense. That, that makes sense. So so that breaks through, and uh, or, you know certain things break through, and eventually when you do have the successful bands that break through, then you've got this specter of financial success that rears its head and can alter the, alter the vision dramatically. So, and did you feel that happening in, well, in the following years? At, what happened was in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a gradual shift of attention from the, um, the mainstream record companies shifted away from formulas that were not selling anymore, like um, the sort of pop rock, uh, light dance music that, <clears throat> that wasn't selling anymore. Um, you know, hard rock and heavy metal wasn't selling anymore. And they yeah. were looking for something to reinvigorate record sales. And eventually Nirvana came along and became that thing and started, a, the, the, att- paid, started the attention being paid to underground bands. And it was always, there was, this, there was a slightly predatory uh, aspect of it. And the... A lot of people use the metaphor of the minor leagues and the major leagues, mm-hmm. um, but it, there there is a really great film uh, about the Portland Mavericks called the um, 
uh, the bastards, battling bastards the, of baseball. Yes, the, yes, yes. They were an utterly independent team that was surrounded by teams that were all farm teams, mm-hmm. right? And they were, um, in, for their league, they were a terrific team. Um, I like to think of them as the electrons of independent baseball. <laughs> so the battered bastards of baseball. Battered I bastards think it is. of baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the um, the the underground very much thought of itself as the Portland Mavericks, right? Yeah. Um, we we weren't part of their system. We didn't want to be part of their system. None of us wanted to play by their rules. None of us really cared about commercial. Success. There were a couple there within, though, who probably did, and you could probably you probably seek them out, or you, they probably made themselves uh, recognizable. Yeah, and anyone that was pandering or anyone that was you know had aspirations of success, eventually they got a shot, and their shot generally destroyed them. You know, that's sort of the way it worked out. A very very, very small number of these of bands were sort of you know lifted out of obscurity in the underground and then made their then became household words mm-hmm. a very very small number a vanishingly small number of of bands that happened to the majority made a single record on a big record label that that um didn't meet expectations often wasn't even released and then the band was in legal limbo and kept in legal limbo until they dissolved. And hmm. that, that's the story that was the most common story of bands of that era. Yeah, um, and, and you around that time you wrote a piece for The Baffler, which is, uh, it went on to be very, very uh, well-known and kind of shattered the image of the music business for a lot of people. The trouble with music, is the that problem right? The, the problem with music. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was basically a warning letter to, a, a warning to my peers mm. in the underground music scene that, you know, if you are approached by somebody who's offering you uh, uh, this potential stardom, you have to recognize that you're likely going to be committing to ending your career if you do that, b- because it's unlikely to work. Mm-hmm. You're unlikely to satisfy their expectations. You're unlikely to make more money or sell more records or play to more people than you would if you just carried on with your normal existence. And if you carried on in your normal manner, you could probably do it for life. Whereas if you sign on with this thing, you're probably committing to ending your career in a couple of years. And that was, an, uh, that was a, a perspective that was uns- unspoken at the time. Like, I, I hadn't seen anybody else say, mm-hmm. it might not be a good idea to sign with a big record company. And I just wanted to get that perspective out there. Nowadays... We don't even have to worry about that. There are no big record companies. There are no record deals. There's, you know, there's, there isn't even, a, you know, there isn't even a, a hint of uh, coercion involved, just because nobody can offer anything. Uh-huh. Like if you, ha- if you, with your cell phone, you and I could right now make a video of, and put it up on YouTube and have more people uh, potentially as an audience than if we were signed to a record deal and they tried to put records in stores. Right. The whole, the whole, the whole paradigm has completely changed. So all the while that that's going on and you're that big of a part of the underground and then that big a part of, uh, seeing the machine take over some friends in the underground and seeing it take over some of the records that you yourself are, are, are engineering. What role is baseball playing? What role is, is, is that play? Is it, like, is it a kindred spirit to you, or yeah. is it an escape at, at, at more, more points uh, in your life like that? I checked out of baseball for an extended period. Like, the entire 80s, for example, lost to me. Right? <laughs> Most of the 90s lost to me, for, to, to baseball, because I was busy doing, you know, music and other things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my, yeah, baseball was a, a, a thing that enlivened my childhood. Like, when I was a kid, 
um, my hero was Johnny Bench, and the team that I most fantasized about being a member of was the Big Red Machine, and this would have been like mid-70s, you know, with the, the heyday of action baseball and, you know, all of those great players. Yeah. That, you know, that was super exciting to me. And then as I matured and I got into things like music and smoking weed and girls chas- chasing women and you know i and you know buying a motorcycle and then crashing my motorcycle like cause i got into a lot of things that distracted me from baseball and i stopped paying attention well how dare you but then it comes back and i want to know why it comes back um do you have a couple minutes to stick around do sure. one more segment with me yeah. outstanding it is hit and run it's me matt spiegel uh right here with you on 670 the score steve albini is going to stick around i got more stuff i want to get to and we're going to explain to you what's happening today in williamsport at the Little League Classic that the Cubs are involved in against the Pirates tonight, and we'll ask you if that counts as a one-road series if they win tonight. We'll discuss. We're here until noon. Hit and run on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.